The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show. Uncut and uncensored analysis from author and consultant Dan Isard. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Dan Isard. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show on FuneralRadio.com. Hi, I'm Dan Isard. I'm the president of the Foresight Companies a world-renowned valuator of funeral homes and cemeteries, consultant management, consultant, writer, speaker, former lender, HR guy, and, in my boring moments, a pencil-sucking geek that does accounting and anything analytical. Welcome to my show. The format of this show, if you've not listened to it before, is we're going to deal with everything that can possibly educate you about the current state of funeral and cemetery business and operations. I'm going to do it by rendering my own opinions, having guests giving you hard education through our Finance 101 section, and news, and along the way, a little bit more. This show, my guest is going to be Michael Cumbie. Michael is a young man that came into his family business and helped build it up from about 450 calls to within eight years up to about 750 calls. At that point, his family made a decision to sell the business and he helped his family figure who the best successor would be. I'm going to talk with Michael and he's going to share his story with you. Also providing some insight into the worlds of death, dying, grief, and unusual facts. Chris Raymond, writer and blogger from About.com. On my Finance 101 section, today I'm going to talk about packages. You know packages. Well, if you're from New York State, you don't know packages. But all the rest of the world knows packages. I'm sorry, New Yorkers, you're going to have to muddle through listening to this and salivating as you learn how the rest of the world can use packages for their best advantage and the ability to serve families better. But for all the rest of you, I'm going to take you through how to do it, how to avoid the mistakes that 90% of all funeral homes make on their general price list about packages, and how to do it so that it increases your profit. This week, I'm also going to cover some news that happened since our last podcast. All this and more on the Dan Asard Show on FuneralRadio.com. Dateline, Washington, D.C., The Coming of Funeral Rule 2. It was announced this week that there is a new House bill to expand the Federal Trade Commission's rule to apply the funeral rule to all sellers of funeral goods, services, and merchandise, including 
cemeteries. House Bill 4213 is intended to expand the FTC funeral rule to all sellers of funeral-related goods and services, including cemeterians, casket salespeople, and monument salespeople. It's also expected to assess more regulations on anyone who was named funeral by their mama. Dateline, Washington, D.C., again. President Obama proposes limiting the number of workers exempt from overtime pay. The Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 was modified by the Fair Labor Standards Act of 2003, which covered white-collar employees. This clearly determined worker eligibility and exemption for receiving overtime pay. The proposals are published since 2003. However, new proposals are being talked about, which would raise the salary limits that exempt workers from overtime pay. In other words, workers currently exempt from overtime could be eligible for overtime if the salary threshold was higher. In reality, any changes to the Fair Labor Standards Act of 2003 really won't have any effect upon funeral homeowners, since most funeral homes are ignoring the 2003 law anyway. This change should not affect funeral homes since most are ignoring the 2003 law to begin with. Dateline, Washington, again. The U.S. Treasury grants favorable treatment for qualified funeral trusts and cemetery perpetual care trusts. It seems that Congress, in an attempt to generate more revenue from those taxpayers over 65 years old, proposed a new Medicare tax of 3.8% on any trust income at the beneficiary level. Therefore, people that have cemetery perpetual care trusts or funeral pre-need trusts, which now are satisfied by the qualified funeral trust explanation, would suddenly be taxed at the beneficiary level. Funeral and cemetery groups submitted comments objecting to this inclusion and were successful. Therefore, at the beneficiary level, not the trust level, in the final regulations, there is no Medicare tax on QFPs or Cemetery Perpetual Care Trusts. In related news, to raise more tax on those over 65 years old, the IRS will be assessing a Medicare tax of $1 per tablet of Viagra. The Office of Management and Budget The Office of Management and Budget expects this to eliminate the federal deficit within two years at the current rate seniors are screwing. Before we go to break, here's my friend Chris Raymond, former editor of the Director Magazine and now working for About.com as their expert on death and dying. 
with a challenging trivia question for our listeners. Chris? Thanks, Dan. This episode's trivia question concerns the last words spoken by the central characters in famous books. This short, hairy-footed fictional character's last words were, quote, And now I think I am quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? Can you name this figure? Here's a hint for you. This famous, treasure-seeking character from the fantasy genre didn't actually say those last words in the well-known book about his adventures there and back again, which was first published in 1937. Instead, he expressed his last words in the final installment of a famous trilogy published nearly 20 years later. Think you know the name of the short, hairy-footed fictional character whose last words were, And now I think I am quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? I'll give you the answer after this brief message from Dan's sponsors. Hello, my name is Raymond Akins, and I serve as host moderator to one of Funeral Radio's newest channels. It's called the Director's Exchange, and if you haven't had a chance to listen in, I'd like to extend to you right now an invitation to come check us out. What we aim to do is showcase the thought leaders in funeral business, people who I refer to as ranking amongst our very best and brightest. I think you'll find the format and the quality of discussion simply fascinating. Again, you're invited to come check us out, and you can find us anytime at the Director's Exchange on FuneralRadio.com. Hello, this is Chris Gordon from A Simple Thank You, the originators of Digital Registry. Our service allows us or the funeral home to print out a customized guest book as well as acknowledgement cards that include addressing the envelopes to and from. This saves the family hours of time trying to decipher through a legible handwriting left by many guests. Visit our website, asimplethankyoufuneral.com, and see what funeral directors and families are saying about a Simple Thank You's digital registry service. What do more than 2,000 funeral home and 800 cemetery owners have in common? They've trusted the power of the financial and management consulting advice provided by the Foresight Companies and its president, Dan Assard. Merger and acquisition, business succession, accounting, pricing, marketing, web management. Call 800-426-0165 to put the power of Foresight to work for you. Introducing the Walkboard Removal Cot. It comes in at half the price, half the size, and half the weight of other cots. Weighing only 30 pounds and with a 500 pound capacity, you can easily navigate corners, multi-story buildings, and tight spaces with the patented design. See their video at walkboard.com radio today. That's walk, W-A-U-K, board, B-O-A-R-D, dot com radio. Before the commercial break, we were listening to Chris Raymond, about.com's expert on death and dying. And he asked us to name the short, hairy-footed, fictional character whose last words were, and now I think I am quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? Hey, Chris, who was that? Dan, the character was Bilbo Baggins, the central figure in J.R.R. Tolkien's classic book, The Hobbit. Bilbo doesn't actually say those words in The Hobbit, though. Instead, his last words appear at the end of The Return of the King, shortly before Bilbo sails off to a mystical place known as the Undying Lands, where he spends his remaining years. Thanks, Chris. You had me confused for a moment. When you said hairy-footed, I thought it was someone I met on Match.com. But you clarified that for me. To discover the last words spoken by other famous people, hobbits, or people, 
as well as other useful information about funerals, burials, and grief. Please check out Chris's website at www.dying.about.com. That's dying, D-Y-I-N-G, dot about, dot com. Listen for more from Chris on our next podcast. I'm here with Michael Cumby. And Michael is a young funeral director who came into this business voluntarily. Uh, third or fourth generation uh, of the uh, Cumby family funeral home in High Point, North Carolina. And a second location in uh, Archdale, North Carolina, a few miles down the road. Michael's got some interesting perspective. I've known him as a client, as a man, and uh, just getting to know him more and more in his current life, working with carriage services. So, Michael, welcome to the Danisard Radio Show on FuneralRadio.com. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Michael, why don't you give us an idea of what motivated you to want to come into funeral service in the first place? Um, well, you know, I was born born into a family uh, that... that made a living in funeral service so to some extent it was uh, the natural progression um, after getting out of school um, the original intent was just to spend one year at the family business uh, and then move on um, into other areas um, but for circumstances for health circumstances uh, within our family I ended up staying um, and I've now been in funeral service uh, continually since 2005 Michael, your family business, uh, third generation, uh, is what you are. Uh, your grandfather started the business. What's it like being in the funeral business in central North Carolina? Um, we consider ourselves lucky to be in the North Carolina market. Um, we still have a, a solid base uh, of clientele that see the value in uh in letting a funeral home perform their uh, their services. Um, however, at the same time, we understand that in addition to the luck, there is some responsibility uh, with, uh, with continuing to evolve what we do to meet the client demand. So uh, I, I think um, for the most part, it, it is, is a mixed bag of, of cost-benefit that we're just constantly trying to navigate. When you came into the business, your, your family firm was already a very well-established firm. You were doing mid-400 calls between the two locations. And over the course of the next five or six years, you increased the total number of calls by another 300. What specifically was your role in helping grow that business? Um, pretty much the, the majority of... Of what we did when we when we changed the operational focus of the business uh, was that we tried to focus um, pretty much everything we did on providing the best value to the customers, not necessarily the best price uh, or not necessarily the most services, but the optimal value of, of service delivery and cost of goods while at the same time optimizing our staffing and our service components uh, to, try to, com uh, to try to make up a bundle of services that give us a competitive advantage in our market. 
I'm talking with Michael Cumbie, third generation of the Cumbie family. Funeral service, High Point, North Carolina. And Michael, you started talking about competitive advantages. In the town of High Point, serving the white population, there were essentially three firms. You all, an SCI firm, and a Stewart Enterprises firm, which also controlled a cemetery. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be the cemetery that the bulk of your interments were going into. Mm -hmm. how, how do you compete with two giants like that? Um, I, again, I think it does go back to value. Um, it, we, uh, <coughs> our vision was, was very clear in providing long-term value um, and, and building these long-term relationships with the families uh, where we might not recognize immediate tangible profit, but the, the intangible value of the goodwill that we were trying to build through our follow-up programs or through uh, the modification of our service delivery from the, the, point of, uh, the point of the arrangement conference, we felt would ultimately uh, put us in a better position than some of the other providers that might be more focused on uh, the immediate financial results might have to uh, navigate some of the attrition that takes place uh, across those industries and 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 pretty much just truly committing ourselves to providing that best long-term service profile. When you think about the nature of your business, the big factor uh, of, of cremation, Cremation from in 2005 was a very small percentage of your business, and over the course of the next several years, more of your families elected to be cremated instead of buried. How did your firm adapt to handle those families? Well, I think uh, I think before I entered into the industry, um, people had pretty much accepted that cremation was here; it was growing, and that. Uh, it was a part of a part of the business model, and where we tried to to change our perception of it was not necessarily in growing our cremation cases or limiting our cremation cases, but changing our cremation mix. What was taking it from uh, direct disposition type customers uh, into a uh, a market segment. Um, that saw more value in in letting us assist them beyond the cremation and take them into the memorial service or even uh, the public viewing. Um, we really, and, and it is a challenge, but we really try to focus not necessarily on burial or cremation, but rather on viewing, non-viewing, or service, non or service, no service. Talking with Michael Cumby, and you're listening to the Dan Assard radio show on FuneralRadio.com. This is Tyler Fraser, founder of Funeral Radio. When I'm not working with the talented hosts here at Funeral Radio, I'm working with funeral directors to fill their cremation urn needs at UPD Urns. I'd like to introduce to you the UPD Urn Store. It's an e-commerce store that can integrate with any website processes earn orders that are totally secure and there's no charge to set it up learn more at updearns.com store
Welcome back. We're talking with Michael Cumby of Cumby Family Fun Funeral Service, third generation funeral director who uh, at this point in his life has, has begun another chapter with his family business. Michael, before the break I asked you about one C word, cremation. I, I have to ask you about another C word and that's Chinese. Uh, you made a decision to use imported caskets in your funeral home. How did that decision come about and, and how did people react to it? Um, I think the, the decision came about um, like most people. It seems like especially around the 2007-2008 the uh, time period we were, we were consistently being... Uh, given wholesale prices that were increasing five to ten percent over those those two year spans and and uh we just we we never saw that slow down and, and we just we refused to accept that um so we started looking at some of these international providers uh specifically um metal caskets um and and again somewhat with cumbies we did not necessarily partner with the cheapest provider or with the lowest cost provider, but rather um, we we brought about four or five different distributors in uh, to find uh, the product that we thought we could uh, could integrate into our mix uh, at the right value. Uh, we never used uh, the international caskets as our uh, primary supplier. Uh, I think in our in our largest year, we might have sold 120 international caskets uh, out of probably 370 total casketed cases. That's still um, a lot of units. It, it was a lot of units. Um, and, and I think uh, more so than getting the public to adapt to, to those cases, uh, I'll be honest, I, I've never had a, a customer ask me anything about the origins of a casket. Um, and, and when a funeral director looks at them, if they're being honest, I, I rarely encountered a funeral director who would find a, uh, a difference in the composition of that casket. Uh, where the difficulty came for us was in storage of the caskets, uncrating, cleaning, um, you know, the things you were going to pay a domestic casket provider a premium to have that casket delivered just in time, unboxed and ready to go. So it that was the biggest challenge was just finding the right mix. Um but the margins are wonderful. So it's it's uh it's a better value for the family in terms of their paying less. Uh the funeral home is realizing higher margins and in the case of Cumbies, it allowed us to to keep our prices at that value standpoint to where every November, December, we weren't passing along a price increase to the consumer. I don't think our casket prices have changed in five years because of that. When you talk about this value component, the, the $500, $600, $700 difference between the um, domestic distribution channel versus the international provider uh that made a difference to you um no not the the distribution itself uh i guess more the delivery is is the issue for us storage space um when you when you purchase international caskets uh 
most of the suppliers we worked with would would purchase containers of 64 um, and so the more units you would buy the lower your cost per unit so um, after we found a supplier I had the bright idea of buying 64 caskets and uh, we were storing them in, in you know owners garages at home uh, down everywhere we could in the funeral home uh, to try to capture what what turned out to be substantial cost savings uh, but at the same time uh, was was probably somewhat offset by the amount of time it took us to uncrate and, and prepare them for viewing or for the use. My, Michael, from what little I know about High Point, North Carolina, it, it's one of the main manufacturing points of hardwood furniture in the United States. Uh, and obviously it was dramatically hurt by a lot of the importation of hardwood furniture. Did those families have any reticence about uh, buying Chinese caskets when the Chinese furniture world was uh, impacting the high point economy? Um, I, I do not recall an instance where it was ever an issue. Um, I have encountered funeral directors who have had issues with it. Um, I I think the way or the way the 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 world economy has evolved and and our purchasing agreements. Uh, I cannot think of anybody I know that has exclusively domestically produced goods, be it clothing, be it shoes, vehicles. Um, we live in an international world, and to to make the inference that it is somehow disrespectful or whatnot to to buy more expensive product to force down the family all in the uh the ideal of buying international i i, I think that ideal probably was invented in indiana that that's uh that's my best guess so. i i'm talking with michael cumby a uh, third generation funeral homeowner and and we're talking about Different words that begin with the letter C from cremation, Chinese, caskets. And now I'm going to raise another C word. And that is that your family, a little over a year ago, made the decision to sell their business. And, and you interviewed a number of different possible successors, including a, a number of corporations. Before we get into exactly who you sold to, what, what were the factors that your family was looking for that prompted them to make this decision and that selling to uh, someone was uh, part of the solution? Well, to some extent, you know, we have, our identity ha has always been on uh, the independent funeral home, the local hometown funeral home, and, and uh, but we, we could very clearly see um, that, that, the, the funeral service market was changing and, and that we had to uh, continually adapt beyond, beyond what is going on um, to put Cumbie Family Funeral Service in, in the best position to continually serve our clients, uh, serve our clients within uh, the constraints that we have created over the years to our brand, um, yet also 
meet the financial obligations we have to to our employees, to our families, and to ourselves as business owners. So um, it was a difficult decision. Um, it was a, a, a very emotional uh, decision, but ultimately what it came down to for us was we felt that if we could partner with the right company um, and if we could get in the right situation, we could actually improve the product we were putting out, create a better environment for uh, the people who work for us uh, and and possibly uh, alleviate some of the, the non-funeral activities that, that everyday business owners have to engage in, especially in a business with with 700 cases and 30-some and you know, different employees. You're listening to Michael Cumbie on the Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. Michael, one more question before we take a, a short commercial break. Um, ultimately, your family chose carriage services. Uh, Houston-based, 25-year-old company, uh, has made numerous acquisitions and, and operating these companies over time. Why don't you tell our listeners about what the first year is like mm -hmm. uh, having uh, made that decision? Um, the, you know, the first year, uh, I, I would say the, the experience has been a little bit uh, different for me um, as I've split my, my role between working with carriage and still helping with the transition at my family's funeral home. Um, in terms of, of the daily operations at the funeral home, very little has changed. And, and I can think of nothing negative uh, or nothing that has adversely affected uh, our services. Um, they, they come in and, and they, they really help you with uh, the technology. Some of the systems they put in place are just state-of-the-art um, and they give you the autonomy. Uh, I, I mean, we still set our prices. We still make up the composition of our service delivery. Um, we make decisions as to advertising, to aftercare, to follow up, to HR matters. Um, there's a lot of things that the people at Carriage do. There is a lot of support that they're willing to provide. Um, but it's support that if you don't ask for it, they're not going to cram it down your throat. Uh, they, they very much uh, are a decentralized company, and, and that has made this first year uh, a very a very good year that has reinforced the decision we made. Excellent. Michael, when we come back, I have one more question for you. You're listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. This is Cindy Neely Spence, your host for Make Ceremony Matter More. On this program, I talk shop with life cycle celebrants about their experiences creating unique ceremonies. Our show demonstrates how end-of-life ceremonies can be different. It highlights unique approaches to meeting what many funeral industry clients are seeking. Please join us to learn how to make ceremony matter more for your clients, only on Funeral Radio. My guest today is Michael Cumbie from the Cumbie Family Funeral Service and indirectly Carriage Services, even though he's not here as a spokesperson for Carriage, but his words uh, 
certainly uh, tell a story that he's satisfied with uh, a year after having made the decision uh, for his family firm to join the ranks of carriage. Michael, have you seen funeral service from the independent standpoint? You've seen it as the child, uh, the third generation. You've seen it uh, through many eyes. Uh, the question that I'm going to ask you is the same question I try to ask all my guests. If you had to enunciate the changes that funeral service has to make in order to be profitable into the future, what do you think those are? Um, I think uh, what, what probably every person in funeral service really needs to... Uh, needs to focus on is to take a step back and look at the composition of their services and the delivery of their services. Um, we are in a unique position um, as being an industry uh, where a family can contribute thousands of dollars to a business and have very little to tangibly hold even a short of a period of seven days after the service. And you hear funeral directors who, who consistently say, we give the best service, we do the best job, we're the best in town. Um, but when it comes time to, uh, to deliver the service, uh, they're still delivering the same service they were delivering 10 years ago. Yet, uh, the price goes in step with the supplier, uh, with the supplier increases. So uh, what I would say is I would challenge every funeral director, every funeral homeowner out there um, not to compete on price, but rather to look at the value of the services you are putting out there relative to what you are charging and, and do the other. And that if you do not find that value uh, that value is appropriate not to take the easy step out and lower your prices, but rather to do what will sustain you in the long run and pump up the quality of your services. And uh, which was pretty much, you know, a process we went through five years ago that, that we've been very happy with the outcome. Michael, do you think that this change to, to protect the profitability and the, and the profession is this something that, you know, Carriage and maybe some of the other larger operators see, or are they in the same ballpark as the independent who's dealing with the day-to-day -day struggles, uh, except on a bigger scale? Um, I can't speak for anybody in the industry other than, than Cumbies. Um, and, and, and I'm a, as you said, I'm an employee at Carriage, but, but I'm, I'm pretty much here on my own. Um, in my personal opinion, I think Carriage does a very good job in letting the individual manager assess that value proposition of his service or that value composition of his service and adjust accordingly. What I see nationally, um, I, I do not see how in the world some of the, uh, the, the, national consolidators can put out the product they put out there, charge what they charge, and make the claim that they are looking at the, the long-term sustainability of 
that individual location within a market. Um, and ultimately, I think over the years, we have seen a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses that have lost significant case count and have lost significant uh, staff members and composition and, and ultimately uh, had a negative effect on the region's uh, funeral service environment because they succumb to the short-term pressures of immediate profitability or high margin immediate profitability instead of what I feel Carriage is doing and a lot of successful independents are doing, which is positioning yourself to be the most successful over the long term. Interesting. Michael Cumby, last name spelled C-U-M-B-Y, talking about Cumby. Cremation, Chinese, combinations, corporations, and all other uh, matters, beginning with the letter C and other letters. Michael, thank you for being my guest. No, thank you for having me. You're listening to Funeral Radio, the voice of funeral professionals. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show. This podcast episode of Finance 101 deals with packages. Packages. P-A-C-K-A-G-E-S. I'm, I'm spelling it not for our typical podcast listener. I'm spelling it for the people in New York who are not allowed to use packages. For the rest of the world, let's continue. Before we really get into a deep discussion on packages, we have to understand why funeral homes should be using packages. Well, there are partial service packages that are mandated by the Federal Trade Commission. Direct cremation, direct burial, shipping or receiving remains from other funeral homes. The FTC requirement, however, came about after a number of months of testimony back and forth in the early 1980s. The FTC did not like the fact that funeral service was by and large a package-driven purchase. You picked out a casket, and you got, with that casket, everything. You got visitation, removal, embalming. You got the service in your chapel. You got cars transportation to and from. So it was a package-driven business. And the problem with that was the fact that if a family didn't want everything in your package, the FTC said that funeral directors gave discounts off of the package in a very haphazard fashion. Either they gave nothing at all because it was a package, or funeral directors gave a fair discount equal to what would today be the general price list itemized pricing. The bottom line is the FTC thought that you were operating in a scurrilous fashion and wanted you to change. They mandated, therefore, itemized pricing except for these limited packages. 
why the limited package were exempted from itemized pricing? Well, I don't know. The problem is, I don't care. It happens to be the law, therefore we have to conform. But what we don't have to do is make the mistake that funeral directors make when it comes to those itemized packages. More about that in just a moment. However, why do businesses, regular good old-fashioned businesses, use packages? Because clearly, because clearly they do. The question is, why do regular, everyday commercial businesses use packages? We see computer companies using packages. We see automobile companies using packages. We even see restaurants using packages. They call that a buffet. Regular businesses use packages because it has been proven time and time again that packages do a couple of key measures. First of all, consumers like packages. It makes them easy to make difficult decisions, especially when they are bundling several services or merchandise points together. Secondly, businesses like packages because it encourages spending. Spending, for a business owner, is generally good. The third reason why packages exist in the commercial world is because the use of packages allows businesses to wait the packages so that they benefit the spending patterns that they are trying to encourage. A case in point to this last point would be going to the movie theater. Before taking your seat, you walk up to the concession stand, and there a 14-year-old pimply-faced, bespeckled kid says, Can I help you? And you say to this asexual, undeterminate creature, I'd like a small soda. This junior high dropout looks at you and says, That's $3.25. But if you want, I could add 240 gallons of additional soda for only 37 cents more. question is, why do they do that? They do that because they're trained to do that, and they're trained to do that because the concession stand owner builds into the minimum purchase all of the concession stand overhead. Therefore, if the merchandise that they're selling you for the additional next size up, costs the concession stand owner less than 37 cents, then in fact getting you to spend that extra 37 cents increases their profit. This is a three-step lesson that funeral service has got to understand. 
right now packages are intended to give discounts to those that spend more. Let me say that again. Packages are intended to give discounts to those that spend more. However, the number one mistake in packages, the number one mistake in packages that 90% of all funeral homes make is they give the biggest discount to the people spending less. Let me explain this to you in another way. Think about the general price list of the itemized pricing of your funeral home. Take a paper and pencil or, or a handheld calculator and add up your basic non-declinable fee, your removal fee, your care and sanitation fee, and your transport fee to the crematory. Then add your cremation fee. You come up with some dollar amount. For the sake of an example, I'm going to say that number is $2,000. I'm just using that as an example. Now, look at the FTC-mandated package for a direct cremation from your general price list. 90% of all funeral homes use a number for that package less than the sum total that I just asked you to add up. This hypothetical $2,000, which is what it might add up to in, in my example, but when you go to set your prices for a direct cremation, you have a value down of something less than $2,000. That is wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, you can't make a living and support your total overhead if every single family chooses your minimum. In fact, you're probably at three, one of three positions. In fact, you're probably at one of three positions in your non-casketed mix. You're either at 30% or less. You may be from 30 to 60%, or you may be greater than 60% non-casketed rate. If you're greater than 60%, how can you possibly stay profitable offering a discount to those people wanting the least amount of your services without having to tax disproportionately those wanting your maximum services? You have a business that is equipped to provide for these maximum customers and you're finding that at 60% or more, you have to put a significant tax or a penalty on those that want your maximum services. If you're between 30 and 60% non-casketed rate, you find that you have to put a penalty on those casketed consumers to be able to afford the discount you're giving those people that are using your minimum services or partial services. 
And if you're under 30%, you're probably just scratching your head and say, how is it dad was able to make so much money running this business and I'm not? Well, brothers and sisters, dad was not a genius. He just ran this business when the cremation rate or non-casketed rate was much, much lower than you're dealing with today. My mission is to travel the entire length of this country, north to south, east and west, to find one single grave. That grave is the grave interring the person that taught funeral service in 1984 that you should discount your minimal services. And then I want to disinter that grave with my bare hands. I want to scatter those bones so that no matter what happens, that person will never be able to come back to life because that person killed the prophet of funeral service. The only way you can give discounts to the minimal producing people the only way you can give discounts to those buying the least amount of your services is to tax those that are spending the most. And in reality, the basic rule of packages says we need to be doing the opposite. Try going through a McDonald's restaurant. <laughs> Try going through a McDonald's fast food drive through Say to the bespeckled teenage child that probably works at a movie theater at night and is working at McDonald's during the day. I see that you have almost 20 packages, but I don't see a package for your small hamburger, small fry, and small soda. I'd like that package. This child who has learned to speak to you through the microphone anonymously this child who has learned to speak to you anonymously through the microphone is going to say, we don't have that package. You have to buy those things a la carte. And what are you going to reply as you sit there in your hearse going through the drive through window? I'm sorry, I'm in the funeral business. We do over 200 services a year. Trust me on this. You need to have a discounted package for your minimal service. And this child, who probably will wind up going to Stanford due to your education in economics, will talk back through you, through the microphone, and tell you, no, you got it wrong. Please pull forward and pay $3.25 at the second window. We need to understand modern discount theory. Modern discount theory. Modern discount theory says you can have service packages, you can have merchandise packages, but you have to make your packages effective. Now, I'm not so sure whether you can have service and merchandise packages because we tend to underestimate what those packages need to be.
but I'm going to walk you through service packages, and then I'll walk you through merchandise packages. Keep in mind that for service packages, you typically need to have four packages for cremation and four packages for burial. These packages fall into two categories. One package category is the FTC mandated category. The second is modern discount theory packages. And modern discount theory packages fall into three categories. The good package, the better package, and the best package. With each level of package, good, better, or best, you're going to be increasing your services, increasing your discounts, and you're going to be encouraging behavior. Therefore, it's in confirmation with modern discount theory. Let me give you an example. For the FTC-mandated package, you might have, on a direct burial, basic non-declinable, removal, care and sanitation or embalming, transport to the airport, and a shipping container. Whatever those items add up to on your itemized general price list, that's what the package should equal. However, we may have a package that now begins modern discount theory so that the good package would be everything I just said, but it would include a private visitation. It might include a register book. It might include several other minor components. The better package would include maybe a two-hour visitation prior to the service, both of which would be on your facility. Maybe you're going to include a small video package with that. Your best package is going to have everything that I just said, except it may be a full visitation, and it may be a large video package. If, in fact, you have a limousine, you may offer the limousine on your better package, and for your best package, you add a different component whereby the limo picks the family up at their house, drives them to the funeral home, and then escorts them from the funeral home to the cemetery and then back to their home afterwards. Each of these packages is going to have a little more service, it's going to have a little more price, and because there are basic redundancies, we're going to have a discount, and that discount is going to be increasing between the good, better, and best. We're not going to have a discount on the FTC-mandated package because we don't need to and I don't want to encourage that behavior. I'm going to have the largest discount for the best package because that's the behavior I want to encourage. 
I'm going to do the same thing for cremation as I would do for burial. I'm going to have an FTC package with no discount, a good package with a small discount, a better package with a slightly larger discount, and a best package with the most services, the most uh, merchandise, and it's also going to have the largest discount. The amount of the discount is open for anyone's guess. You can use 1%, 2%, 3%, respectively, on your good, better, and best. Or you could use 2 4 and 6%, graduating upward from good to better to best. But ultimately, when you calculate your packages, the service offerings, the discount, you're going to make an estimate of what percentage of your families are going to use which of these packages. If when you estimate the number of families that are going to use each of these packages, you can multiply the expected revenue times the number of times you expect it to be used. Adding those four criteria up, the FTC package, good, better, and best package, times the amount of the average revenue of the package, and you're going to have an estimated hypothetical pricing analysis as to how much revenue your packages are going to generate. If you add that up and it is less than the estimate that we talked about in our last podcast on your hypothetical pricing analysis for your itemized pricing, then you're not going to use packages. You use packages other than the FTC-mandated packages only because they generate more revenue. Now, maybe what you need to do is realign your pricing. Put more emphasis on your basic, your removal, your transport too. But you need to analyze whether packages will generate more revenue for you. I mentioned merchandise packages. The goal of merchandise packages is to get spending above your average wholesale. So if your average wholesale for a casket, and that's calculated by total casket purchases divided by the number of caskets sold, let's say that number is $1,000. I'm going to try to create packages that are going to encourage spending. So I may have caskets that cost me $1,100 coupled with vaults that are above my average vault and now offer a slight discount to encourage people to use those caskets and vaults. In fact, I could have a casket and vault good, better, and best offering. I do like to see, for burial, caskets and vaults put together as a package, but not yoking the packages for merchandise to the packages with service fees. The reason is this. 
So many times families come in and they pick a service package, but they like a different casket. If somebody is picking your better service package, but they want a casket from your good package, suddenly you have to get into the explanation of why you can or cannot allow the discounts on these various items. I like for my clients to learn how to say yes to families, not no. So packages need to be put together effectively. For burial, find five common priced caskets and put them in a package with one or two vaults. For the mid-priced, the better. Again, five mid-priced offerings with one or two common vaults in the same price range. And for the best, four or five higher-priced offerings with one or two vaults in that same upper end. Or do caskets, vaults, and markers. For cremation, do the exact same thing, except cremation consumers are using rental caskets coupled with urns, or rental caskets, urns, and keepsake urns. Finance 101 is intended to help make you have a greater profit in operating your business. So that's our Finance 101 on packages. In our next podcast, I'm going to give you the five biggest mistakes people make on their general price list. I'm going to cover language, ignoring the basic non-declinable, how they print them, how they lay them out, and how they ignore monitoring how the general price list is being appreciated by consumers. You're listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. I want to thank you for listening to The Dan Assard Show. I'd love to encourage you to listen to the other podcasts on FuneralRadio.com. In the event you have a question for me, please feel free to send it in through my webpage on FuneralRadio.com or through Facebook. Keep in mind, next podcast, listen to our next podcast where I'm going to be discussing the five biggest mistakes people make on their general price list. You've been listening to the Dan Assard Show, uncut, uncensored analysis for the funeral and cemetery world beyond compare. I want to thank my guest this show, Michael Cumby of Carriage Services and Cumby Family Funeral Service in High Point, North Carolina. I want to thank Chris Raymond from dying.about.com for his contribution. I want to thank my executive producer, Tyler Frazier, and my segment producer, Catherine Marie Bellavoe. Please like us on Facebook and sign up for the automatic downloads from the iTunes podcast store or from the funeralradio.com webpage. Please feel free to search out and read my columns on the uh, director. Ma- Please feel free to 
Please make sure you check out each monthly column in the Director Magazine, as well as featured articles in the ICCFA Magazine, American Cemetery Magazine, and American Funeral Director Magazine. I do hope that we make this podcast profitable. I need your help to do so. I have a funeral bill I'm paying off. My father died nine years ago, and I am responsible to pay a bill to the funeral home that buried my father. I'm paying them $153 a month. You may not understand this, but my dad wanted to be buried in a tuxedo, so we rented one. So please support this podcast. I have to make $153 a month to pay that bill. As always, if I've offended you, please tell your friends. You've been listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com.